Hey, we are in 1 Corinthians. We've been journeying through this particular letter. I really enjoy teaching it. I love teaching the Bible because I get to share with you what I believe God has illuminated, amplifying, you know, revealing to me. And we get to go through together because you also get to grow in the Word as we go through the Word together. And as we've went through this, this series I've titled Called Out, Called Up, God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. As we went through this, I, I, I hope you've been encouraged. I certainly have. The title's important, I think, in the sense of processing you know, week by week, in that we were in the world, you and I, uh, we, we existed, and, and then God, in his grace, brought the knowledge of his salvation into your life. It may have been, it may have been through a loved one. It may have been through... Who knows what it, how it sourced and came into your life. And when you responded to that truth of forgiveness, that offer of hope, that new life invitation, you still lived in this world, but you responded. The Bible tells us, says that you were, you, we were born again, born of the Spirit. So you're still in this world, agreed? But you're not of this world. You're called out and called up, living at a horizontal plane with earthly wisdom around us where we understand principles and truths and measures of this world. We are now indwell, infused, born again, born of the Spirit, where His heavenly truth is now brought into this earthly realm for us at a personal level. And that we're learning now to live and love at a higher level. We're still here. You noticed. And so how do we do that? And that's really what we're working through in this particular uh, letter, to live and love at a higher level. We're in chapter 12. I want to read verse 1. And then uh, we'll, I'll, I'll touch base on a few things, build a little bit of a uh, background, if you would, and then we'll pray here in a little bit in regards to the, the reading through this portion. In chapter 12, verse 1, we are told, Now... Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be without knowledge, uninformed of the word we see in the New King James. I do not want you to be ignorant. Going back to what I mentioned about your life and my life as born-again Christians, we were without knowledge at one point, unaware, ignorant of the truth of the gospel. The most important truth in all of history, we didn't know. I didn't, there was a season in my life I didn't know it. But I was introduced to the gospel. I was introduced at a time when I was actually receptive. By the grace of God, I agreed with God and realized I needed forgiveness, even though I wasn't as bad as other people. I realized, oh man, this is true to me too. And I was born again. You were born again. When that moment when you agreed with God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is God, and died for your sins and rose from the dead and conquered death and hell. You put faith in him. You were a new creation, born again, born of the Spirit, a child of God. And so here's my exhortation. You, you were uninformed. Now you are informed. Don't be uninformed any longer. You, you didn't get the full gospel. You got the full gospel, but you didn't comprehend it at the moment of rebirth, correct? You went, oh man, this is amazing, but I don't understand all of it. Yeah. So how my encouragement is, get to know God. Get to know God, the one who loves you, the one who saved you, the one who has a future and a hope for you. 
Which is kind of like silly for me to say that, you might think, because you're here. <laughs> right? I mean, you're here, you're listening online, you're choosing to, to, to get to know the truth. And I, I just want to encourage you. You don't, in this life, you won't arrive in the sense of, oh, I know it all now. The more you uncover, the more you unearth, the more you discover. And, and the greater your hunger becomes because you see the faithfulness of God. You see the word of God. You see the truths of God. Now, as you're growing in the word, as you're growing in your walk with the Lord, there's certain things we see in chapter 12 that, that are a part of that growth. And it's referred to as the gifts of the spirit. The gifts of the spirit are God's equipping and empowering his people to do his work for his glory and for our joy. The gifts of the Spirit are from God, distributed as he wills, therefore to equip you and me, to empower you and me, to do a work, if you would, an expression in this world where God gets the glory and we experience the joy. So we're going to dig in deep into the gifts of the Spirit in greater detail on Wednesday nights. It's on our step-by-step uh, midweek service, and we'll walk through the Word together. We have uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 that are specifically you know, directed to this particular topic. I encourage you to join us beginning this Wednesday. Today we're going to consider the context in which these gifts of the Spirit are mentioned. What's interesting is Romans 12 is a list of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians 12 is a list. You'll find also in Ephesians 4 a partial list of the gifts of the Spirit. And each time the gifts are listed, each time they're presented, they're wrapped in a reference to the human body. It's a reminder, a picture, if you would, and it presents the, the unity and purpose of the church. Let me draw you to uh, an example of that out of Romans 12. In Romans 12, verses 3 and 4, Romans 12, verses 3 and 4. Now, the list will follow what we're reading here, but we'll focus on what I mentioned as the purpose. In verse 3 of Romans 12, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Once again, you see he's given this reference or this example. The gifts are given, and you'll get into the list. But it's, it's, it's like the body. We are a part of the body. And it's a beautiful picture if you think about it, because we're going to see why such a simple thing is such a, a helpful thing, an essential thing. So a picture to present the unity and purpose of the church. We can see in Ephesians 4, if we consider that text, which has a list as well of the particular gifts and expressions of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, where we see, beginning in verse 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with all long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice this. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. With that, let's pray. God, thank you that we can approach you. We can come 
not just in, in concept or theory or thought or idea or just wondering. You have made it possible to be able to approach you, to come boldly into your throne of grace, to find mercy and help in time of need. It is through that great price you paid that we have forgiveness, that we have entrance into your presence. And so thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for placing us in in what you've told us to be your body. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so this morning, help us, Lord, to know how to live this out at a higher level, the greater sense of importance, to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We would fight for what you've given us. You've given us unity. May we learn how to walk in it and fight for it. Teach us your word today, God. We thank you so much, Jesus. You're so good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians, let's move back to chapter 12 with that background, if you would, about the body. We're going to focus this morning on just that. The portion of Scripture with the greatest detail and a lot of, a lot of um, you know, good portion that, that's, you know, significant. I mean, the Bible only has so much space between Genesis and Revelation, right? So if you only got so much space, you want to make sure you get the right stuff in there. And then if you spend time on one thing and then repeat it to other places, I'm just thinking we should pay attention to it, right? That's a pretty deep thought, I'm sure. So why did God give us so much space to something that's so simple? Because for one, you and I know, we may not think of it in these phrases and terms, but life gravitates from simplicity to complexity, correct? From from your relationship, from adolescence, toddler, toddler zone, to adolescence, to teen, and one of the most complex times in our life, uh, but it's simple. So it's, you see what I'm saying? It's going from, from simplicity to complexity. To relationships, they get more complex. Vocation, it gets more complex. And so God gives us something here that is really fascinating, this picture, this imagery, if you would, that the church, the global gathering of his children, the believers, are like a body. This is something an elementary child can grasp, correct? And this is something a scholar or or anyone who chooses to dig deeper and, and ponder and wonder and give effort and thought to the truth, you will spend your lifetime opening this jam up. You're opening it up and digging it out and seeing, man, that, that means this and therefore this, and that also applies like this. Well, it's, it's, I just think it's beautiful. So in verse 12, we're just going to catch through this a portion at a time. Our, my goal is to work towards verse 31, finishing our study time here in, in chapter 12, around 12, 15, 12, 20, and then we'll take communion together to end our time here in this room. I specifically say it that way because we end our time here, but we have opportunity for conversation. I mean, obviously, if you brought kids, you, you should pick them up after that. But then you've got a playground and engagement and interaction. Let's not let our Western way of thinking rob us from a relational truth. What I mean is you start at a set time, you get done at this time, you go to this, you go to this, you go to that. We're too clock-oriented. We should be orderly, but we also should recognize this is the time to get to know people after service. So I got to find second gear. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, 
are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we see here in verses 12 and 13 is this is now being presented and unveiled. He's reminding you and me that the global body of Jesus Christ, the church, is one body. It's not like the Jewish version and the Greek version, the Gentile or the barbarian or the Scythian or the slave or the free, according to Galatians chapter 3. We are one in Christ. Really important. Do you realize? I mean, I chew on this every now and then because it helps me reset if if I'm starting to deviate. There's not going to be different sections in heaven. There's not going to be the Presbyterian section. And, and, and then the Calvary Chapel section, and then the Nazarene section, and this section, and this. Do you, do, have you thought about that? We have these gatherings now that are different, and I'm not opposed to them. I, quite honestly, I believe it's of God's design that we gather in different places with different perspectives and different emphasis and different expressions of worship. It's not all wrong. It's just the realization that God's amazing because he didn't make us all like, you know, cookie cutters like dominoes and everything's the same and we all look the same. We have different experiences, a different understanding, and it's beautiful, I think. Realize that even though we have all that in gathering variation, there's still one body. And I, I say the global body of Jesus Christ, the church. And I want to encourage you to realize that, man, it doesn't matter um, the background. Now, now, understand, I'm not saying that every gathering that calls itself a church is true to the gospel. I I do make the specifics that those that are in the church, the body of Christ, recognize the deity of Jesus Christ, the biblical presentation and promises of God, about God, and specifically about who Jesus is. You can't come with a latter-day expression claiming that Jesus is the spirit brother to Lucifer, redefining the Father, and say it's all the same. It's not. It's not true. So you do have to draw a line in the sand. Does that help? But let's make sure we're not arguing over the petty things or the small things or the non-essential things. Let's realize, hey, we are one in Christ. And so it goes on to tell us in verse 14, we'll read through verse 17 of this simple picture and the beautiful reminder in verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So you see, as he's presenting this, it's, a, I believe, an application to understand Notice that he's saying, well, if one part doesn't see their part, does that mean they're not a part? They're, they're removed? Here's what I see as, a, as an expression. Some of you, you look upon this gathering or you have a relational connection and, and you see what God's doing in someone else's life. And you see their, their humility or you see their surrender. You see the love expressed. You see like, man, this person's really... They're really growing in Christ. They really are. I I, I get where they're at. But you see yourself as like, man, that's not me, though. I I could be out of here, and it it might be better if I'm not in the way. I'm just nothing. 
I want you to understand, when you see that person who's doing well, it's meant to be an encouragement for you that if God could use that misfit, he can certainly use you. If he can bring that person into a greater understanding of his love and grace, he would do the same for you. Your perspective that you're inferior, because this is referring to if the foot should say, I'm not a hand, if the ear should say, it's like if we say, I'm just not that important. You are not understanding God's perspective about you. You've been drawn in to maybe a, a sense where you're, you're, not, you're not seeing with a greater view. Maybe you've just been convinced that you're just not that important. God says you're very important. God gives you. He's empowered you. He, gives, he builds you up. He instructs you. Don't look at yourself in light of someone else. Let the light of the Lord give you instruction. Does God put you down? Does God say, you know what? I gave you the gift and the ability to do this, you little punk, and you don't do it. You know what? I'm so fed up with you. That is from the father of lies, not the father of creation. Understand who you are in light of God's view of you. It's it's life-changing for many people because it frees you from this internal thought that you'll never quite be like someone else. You only need to be who he's called you to be, and that's the perfect way to be. And guess what? We're not there yet. Not one of us. We're actually growing as we understand and learn what God is directing us to. Let's just jump over on down to verse 18. But now God has set in the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. We get this picture. It's so simple in imagery. We understand that, you know, there's different parts to the human frame. That's what he's referencing. So we could get it. It's like, man, there's, there's uh, some that do this and some that do that and some that are capable in this measure. You know, but he's, he's set them, notice, as he pleased, not as you performed, not as you deserved, According to his wisdom and his love and, and, and who he is as God, he distributes the abilities, the gifting. He places the body as he wills for the benefit of all. And it's because in a way that pleases him. If we can remember that, we can remove a lot of comparison and a lot of competition, right? That, that happens relationally when we're thinking, oh, man, I can't be this or I'm not that. Listen, he has placed each one in the body just as he pleased. We see there in verse 18. Now we look in verse 21, and he's continuing this simple analogy, this simple picture. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And the members, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts to have greater modesty. But our Un, our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, which giving greater honor to that which lacks. I'm sorry, that which lacks it. Verse 25: There, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members of, should have the same care for one another. So let me capsulize verses 18. Or I mean, verses 21 to 25, if I could. We don't get to determine, well, I don't need that part, or I don't need that part. Well, we could get by without that part. Do you see the picture here? You know what? I got pretty good balance. I really don't need a pinky toe. My little toe is kind of like, it's just there, taking up space, keeping my boot from moving. Really? 
How about I smash it for you? And what's going to happen? You don't need it. It's just a little toe. It's a, a, what, what significance is it? You, you see, it's something so simple. Because we know what hurts when you get your little toe smashed. The little toe, medically. The, 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 you know, the sensory, the, the nerves, the it hurts. But what happens when you go to sleep that night? Oh, that's right. You don't. Because it hurts. You can feel like, how did that happen? I can feel my pulse in my pinky toe. What is going on here? So you see what he's saying? It's like we, we each part needs each other. And I, I think that's a, that what the enemy has done in the church is try to get people to think they're, they're replaceable or they're not valuable or there's no need for you here. And, and, and it's not of the Lord. It's not of God. It, it's of, of an enemy. He wants to bring you know, this, this schism and division and all these, this friction and problems within the church. He said there should be no division in the body. It, it, it's just unhealthy. But that the members should have the same care for one another. Did you catch that? The same care for one another. As we have continued since 2020, let me re- reference that one more time. In 2020, when things were unfolding and things were getting weird month by month, we were prevented from gathering for a short period until, honestly, as a church, we said, we're done with this. We are not not meeting. We've had enough. We've tried to be in, in accordance with reasonable instruction, but it's become unreasonable. And we started meeting again. But even before that, because we did, our, we did a, a broadcast from the uh, youth building for a little bit, but before we started meeting again, we held on to one verse. It's a really important verse. It's out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What drove us was not which side of the the hot topic, but rather how can we consider one another to stir up love and good works. And you can see back here in 1 Corinthians 12 that we would have the same care for one another. Learning to consider other people, learning to have a stirred empathy and a, and a greater understanding. I think you're probably, you can relate to what I say in this sense that, you know, have you ever had a conversation with someone and through the flow of the conversation, it just happens sort of naturally, sadly, you kind of profile them a little bit. You're picking up a little information and you're going, your little, you know, Weirdo omometers going beep, 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 beep. You're like, what's this guy's person's deal? And then as you're listening to him, you're trying to be polite, you're smiling, but just you're like, whatever, you know. And, he, and, he, and you walk away with some, now don't look at me like I'm the only one did it. I said, first service did that to me too. Like, oh, damn, how could you be such a horrible person? Because I'm looking at a bunch of horrible people, that's why. We're all the same deep down. And we find ourselves going, you know, I don't know why that he's that way. That person's kind of rude. They're kind of rough. They're kind of insensitive. And then we kind of, okay, I'll, you know, I'll pray for him. But you don't really want to. And then you bump into him again, or you sit and talk to him one other time at a gathering. And this time, they give you a glimpse of something you didn't know, because here's the problem we all have. We don't know what we don't know. And so the first time you come away almost guiltily with a profile and a pre-conclusion and it's kind of, and the next time you connect, maybe two times later, but you connect and they start sharing something more of their heart, more of their hurts, 
more of what they've went through in life, and all of a sudden, you have tears in your eyes, at least in your heart, because you feel so bad that you judged them and you concluded things about them, but you didn't know. You did not know what you do not know. And now it's made known to you, and you're like, oh, man, I hope you have that experience in, in, in the whole totality. You know what I'm saying? To where you get to that point, and we have these engagements, like, oh, man, I didn't know what you're going through. And our hearts are softened because we have the same care for one another. You, you would do that. If the elbow, you take a tumble and the elbow gets like dinged up pretty good and you know, a little, you know, blood coming out. You're like, oh, you don't say to the elbow, you did it. You fixed it. You shouldn't have stuck yourself out when you fell. You don't do that. What do you have care for the body? Cause you do what? This part takes care of this part, while these two go to the medicine cabinet, and the brain goes, get that thing, put that on first before that, because it's care for the body. Is it, I think it, it's funny, don't you think? It's such a simple picture for us, but it's so hard to put into practice. It's so hard to be relationally true and honest through these in, 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 in life and as we're going through things. Now, moving along, it says in verse 26 and 27, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We have a place and a purpose, but we're all all part of the same body. It's such a beautiful unity that God has given to us. Moving on, let's take a look in verse 28 to 31. And, And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing and helps and administrations and variety of tongues. As I mentioned, we're going to go through that in detail on our Wednesday night step-by-step. He continues after he mentions those things, that list, are all apostles? It's rhetorical. Each one of these questions will obviously be answered in the no. Are all prophets? Well, no. Are all teachers? Well, well, no. Are all workers of miracles? Well, not not exactly. Do all have gifts of healings? Well, well, no. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I I show you a more excellent way. Interesting, huh? He's like, okay, listen, God is in control. God has appointed each part to, to know their part. But notice what he says. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Let's look at the first part of that. Earnestly, seriously, with with with, with the, you know cognitive capacity and a spiritual sensitivity, and, and God directed humility. Desire spiritual growth. Desire these things. That's why you're here today. It's great to have friends and conf- you know people we know and connect. And you know I love worshiping, but we're, we're, we're worshiping because we learned how to worship. We're, we're in the Word as an act of worship because we want to grow. Earnestly, it speaks of a sense of it was some sobriety, with some value, with some priority. And I know we're in a time, the body of Christ, we need to recognize, we need to grow in our understanding of the ways of God, because we're going to face a lot of challenges in the days and years to come, if, if, it, if there's even that much time left. And so earnestly desire what? The best gifts. Well, what's the best one? Is there one? Is that, is that, is that categorical? Is that ladder-like? One higher than the other? The best one... For you, the best gift for me is the one that gives him the glory. 
He's the one that directs attention to Jesus Christ. It's not the one that people, oh, that person's this. Look at that person. That person did this and that person is that. That's probably not the best gift. Or maybe it isn't being fully utilized in the way God would direct it. The best gift is the gift that's that's, uh, experienced and expressed in such a way that God gets the glory that people want more of God because of the work of God that comes through you that gives him the honor, him the glory. That's the best gift. So in review, I like to do review. Usually I'll you know, give you like a, a verse or a word out of the flow of our text, and I'll give you, you know, four or five points tied to that. Today I want to do it with that same thought in mind, but I'm just going to give you the verse. You're, you're going to have homework. You're going to get to think through how this applies. I want to consider some key verses so that we can keep what we've read in its, in its proper context. The content, content in the context. Because what happens if you take it out of context? The content get, becomes confusing. So here we go. First one we consider by way of review. Verse 13 for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. Where by the work of God we are one in Christ. And let's never forget that. Also, we consider by way of review and helping to keep the context, consider verse 18. But now God has set the members, each of them, in the body just as he pleased. As who pleased? As he pleased. See, he sets these members, these abilities, these capacities, these beautiful interdependence, not independence, interdependence in the body of Christ as he pleases. So just receive that. Believe that. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. We should have same care for one another. It involves empathy. It involves understanding. It involves compassion. It involves information and wisdom. But it's a choice as well to care for one another instead of cut one another or find fault or complain or point out the deficit. Let's just learn to just, you know, roll with it. Guess what about the body of Christ, about the individuals as we know ourselves to be? We don't get along. And I don't know that it's all bad. See, you can have a difference of opinion and a different angle and a different tilt, but you can still be united, correct? If you're willing to do that, because you know God picked 12 apostles. He spent all night praying, so it wasn't spontaneous. He just didn't take who was available. He was very deliberate, and we're told very specific about his priorities. And he walked with those apostles, specific apostles, for roughly almost three years, give or take maybe more. And just hours, if you would, before the cross, they're engaging in such a mature way. You remember? They're expressing the time with the Lord clearly brought about a maturity in their life because they were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Did you catch that? They were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom, and he does not rebuke them. He he speaks to them. See, it's okay to have individuality if we recognize interdependence. If we realize, man, I, I just see it different. It's said this way on essentials, on things that are even non-essential, on these things out here, when we're united in Christ, a part of the body, we can agree to disagree. Everybody knows to say that when they lose the argument. But do we realize that at all times? We can agree to disagree. It's okay. We just see things different. I have been blessed to be here, a part of this church, 
because you know the dynamic. As we've been here for over two decades, people come and go because of the military element, the dynamic. But what's happened for me as an individual who gets to, to be and do what I do is I have a greater understanding of the body of Christ because of you. You come in with different positions and different experiences, different you know elements of your journey with Jesus. And we have a different representation than a lot of, say, Calvaries or other churches that are just, you know, that collection. You see what I'm saying? It's so beautiful that we can just be a part of this and recognize, let's just care for one another as we glorify Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have verse 13, verse 18, verse 25. Let's consider verse 27. You are the body of Christ and members individually. We each have a part, a role to to live out and to learn. Ending with verse 31 earnestly desire the more excellent gifts, the best gifts. And I'll show you a more excellent way. He's going to show you and I in chapter 13 and even into 14 what it means to really be empowered by the Spirit, to be gifted by the Spirit, to love God and to love people. And so I want to encourage you, just desire that. Now, what happened that we could be a part of the body of Christ. What happened? You, know, you, you didn't just decide you're going to join the body of Christ and get grafted in like a vine or, you know, surgically implanted. What happened that you and I, we individually, could be a part of the body of Christ, part of, you know, his body? Well, what happened was his body, literally, physically, was given for us. Consider 2 Corinthians where we're told in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he, speaking of God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us as a payment, if you would. How did that all happen? God, in his love, according to John three sixteen, he came as a man, a miraculous birth. But not only a miraculous birth, a perfect life. He took on a body, lived a perfect sinless life. He then offered his life as a payment for our sin, suffering a a brutal, horrible death at the hands of the very people he came to save. Have you thought about that? God comes and takes on this human form, laying aside his divine prerogatives, we're told, I believe in Ephesians, Philippians. And so he lays that aside. He takes on human frame, human form, to save those who have rebelled against him. And the very ones that have rebelled against him brutally beat him. They treat him horribly, terribly, beyond what you could imagine. The very people he came to save rejected him. He came to his own and his own would not receive him. What kind of love is that? That's not this horizontal love, agreed? That's a love that's out of this world and has come into this world. It's an amazing love. His lifeless body hanging upon the cross. It's removed. It's placed into a cave to decay. Death had won. Death won. To those disciples in that day, they faced horrible, terrible thoughts. Like, oh my gosh, I've given all that I am. My reputation and everything has been given to this man who has just been put in a tomb. 
It is finished. It's done. Death won. Or did it? See, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death and hell, defeating sin, and offering hope for whoever would put their trust in him. Such a beautiful thing that we're a part of and paid for such a price we can't grasp. Scott Wardson.